It's great to be here tonight. I'm uh, all the way from strong Arkansas. And for you, that's the armpit of the world somewhere. Population 767. Few dogs are probably counted in that census somewhere. Um, I'm in a small place. There's a congregation there uh, where I worship. Uh, that's uh, wonderful people there. And they're wonderful people here. And I want to tell you, God's people are always the most wonderful people to be around. And I'm glad to be around God's people tonight and worship with you. Tonight, if you're our visitor, you're our honored guest. Um, I'm here to preach the gospel. It's not about me. It's not about any man. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection, the greatest event in human history, the very scheme of redemption, the very way that God made a way for people like us to have a relationship and an eternal existence with Him. And that's what we're here for. We're here to preach the good news. That is good news. And tonight I want to talk to you about a part of that good news, a part of the Word of God that I believe our world needs a lot. And that is the concept of repentance and what that means. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, Paul said, At the time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed today, verse 31 says, in which he will judge the world by righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And throughout this meeting, you'll see me draw a cross up here for no other reason than to put myself right here at the base of it, to put three, a three-letter word that we all have to deal with, and that is sin, to put the death, the burial, and the resurrection, which is what was accomplished at the cross, it wasn't just that Jesus died. It was the fact that he shed his blood in his death, and he did not stay dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Jesus is not dead. And that's why today we can preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. It would not be good news if he was still dead. He, it is good news tonight because he is alive and he rules and reigns. And because of him... Little old me and little old you, even though we all have a sin problem, can have a relationship with the almighty, sovereign creator and ruler of the universe. And that's why we're here. And that's why this worship is vital. And that's why this message is vital. And the reality of our relationship with God, there is a word that you're going to learn tonight. And that word is the R word. And it's a hard word to pronounce. My, my nephew, Spencer, can't pronounce his R's very well. He's five years old, and it's just a precious thing. There's a little three-year-old or four-year-old back home at church, and her uh, cousin's name is Eric, but I call him Ewick because that's what he's called all the time to the top of her lungs. Ewick! The R word that we have a problem with many times is repentance. And I want to talk to you about repentance because I want to I make this as personal as I possibly can. If you have not repented of your sins, you can't have a relationship with God and neither can I. If no one has ever told you you had to repent of your sins, God sent me here to tell you you need to change your life in the same way by inspiration. Paul stood on Mars Hill and told the people there they needed to change their life. And if your life hasn't changed... And if you're not changing your life, don't expect God to create or have a relationship with you. He created relationship when we choose to repent. 
And I want you to focus on that tonight. And I don't want you to lose that concept because I want to tell you, we're going to go through it. And we're going to study it together. Before we go further, we have a great privilege to pray. I'll tell you a little bit about me. Uh, there's been a lot go on um, in the last week. I'm sorry I couldn't start on Sunday. Um, the Lord blessed Julie and I with a great doctor's appointment. Uh, we learned we're having twins and there's healthy heartbeats. And uh, I'm telling you, I appreciate so much the prayers that, that you've uttered, that brethren have uttered. And uh, she just couldn't be with me, and I wish she could. Uh, she's definitely my better half. But I'm, I'm glad to be here, and tonight I look forward to worshiping with you and studying God's Word. Before we go further, we have a great privilege to pray. Why preach on repentance? The answer is simple. The Bible teaches in Romans 3, verse 23, people just like me and people like you have a problem with sin. Now understand sin not as the enabling, rationalizing, postmodern age likes to do it. The bottom line is God gave us the ability to say no. At no time do we have to sin. Sin is a historical fact of all of us. We all at some point in time have succumbed to it, and so Jesus died and made a way for us to deal with it. But at no time is sin one of those things that God allowed a gun to be put to my head, and I had no choice in the matter. The reason why sin is such a big deal is because we chose it. And when you choose sin, our righteous God, our holy God, does not allow sin in His presence. He is that pure. He is that unbelievably pure and holy. And so Jesus made a way to cleanse us, cleanse me from any mistakes and shortcomings and missing the mark and falling short of God's will, both of the natural law and the revealed law, and so he made a way for me to be saved. Now, repentance is a big deal and big part of that. I don't want to make any mistakes on, uh, tonight or leave any false impressions. Here's what I want you to understand and how God is and how he treats us. God saves us, the Bible teaches, we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave, gave His only begotten Son. Grace could be boiled down to simply saying it is a gift. It is unmerited favor. In other words, I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve that. That's not something I get to go to God and say, look how good I am, I deserve it, I'm being a good boy. That's not it. As good as you'll ever be and as good as I'll ever be, I'll never be somebody that deserves what God is offering. And that's why it will always be grace. It is unmerited favor. It is love. The Hebrew writer spoke about it as mercy. But bottom line, grace is a gift. The reality is though, this gift has to be accepted. And whenever this word is used in our vocabulary, I want you to understand what it means. And it's a four-letter word, one that we all ought to know real well. And that word is obey. And if we obey God, we accept grace. That's why Paul said that God, when he sends Jesus, will take vengeance on two groups. One, those that don't know God, and two, those that have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And think about it from God's point of view. I offered you my son. 
Here he is. He died a cruel, awful death on the cross, and all I'm asking of you is that you accept that. In Hebrews uh, 5, 8 and 9, the Bible teaches, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that, what? Obey Him. Now that's clear. That's a very clear way to look at it. God offered something, I have to accept it. There has to be a way I can accept it. And the way we accept it is the gospel plan or scheme of redemption. The very cornerstone of that was the death, burial, and resurrection. If Christ be not raised, our faith is vain, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there, if there are bones, if there are remains of Jesus Christ, we're wasting our time here tonight. We're absolutely wasting our time. But the reality is the tomb is empty and because of that, our faith stands secure today. It is absolutely secure. The next step we, we'll speak of and we're going to prove tonight is the idea of repentance. I, I'll also say it has to do with confessing Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that we are baptized for the remission of our sins. And I'll give you a scripture for each one of these just real quick in case I forget because I am mortal. And if you're taking notes, that's 32 and 33. And there is John 3 and 5. Let me see who said all this. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. And Jesus said that. Now, if I told you, hey, I've got a way you can be saved, here's what I want you to do. You might say, hey, Cullen's come up with this way to be saved. But how, hang on a second. If I show you what Jesus said, which is, believe in me, repent of your sins, confess me before men, and be baptized in water, that's Jesus' plan. Don't ever make it any man's plan. That is not man's plan. These are words out of the very mouth of the Son of God, and this is His plan. And when He would say, He is the author of the plan that saves, faith, repentance, confession, and baptism have always saved. They forever will save. It's the plan of Jesus Christ, and there is no other plan. If you can, please show it to me. That's what Jesus said. So let's talk about the idea of repentance real quick. Repentance is about beginning and keeping our relationship with God. It's a big deal. Christians can even sin at times. The Bible teaches that in 1 John 1 and 8 and in 2 John 2, verses 1 and 2. So we've described the reality that we have all sinned, Romans 3.23. I've also said that after people are saved, sometimes we sin. What do you do about it then? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We pray about it. We make up our mind we're not going to do it anymore. That's why repentance is such a big deal. It's not only before or in order to be saved, it's also after we're saved. And did you know there are churches that need to repent? There are churches that need to repent. That's right. I'll prove it to you. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 4, notice what the Bible says there. This is Jesus. Nevertheless, I have this against you to the church at Ephesus. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now that's a big deal. So there are three things here. Every person in the world 
has a sin problem we've got to do something about. And the key phrase in there is, we all have to repent. Paul said, at the times of ignorance, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we all have to do that. Secondly, once we're saved, Christians sin. 1 John 1 and 8, any man who says, I have no sin is a liar and the truth isn't in him. That doesn't mean we stay in our sins. How do I know that? Paul said in, in Romans chapter 6, he said, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's a big deal. What about churches that sin? You repent, you go back, and you do the first works. That means it's possible for not only an individual person, a person that's never known Christ, they are a sinner, a person that's known Christ can sin, and a church can sin. And anytime you find sin, you find God saying, do something about it. And that word is repentance. And it's a big word. I want to tell you what repentance is not if you're taking notes. Repentance is not just being sorry. Lots of folks are sorry they got caught. Lots of people are sorry they got caught. Herod was exceedingly sorry in Mark 6, 26, when Salome asked for John's head, but he still cut off his head. Secondly, repentance is not sorrow and confession. Lots of people are sorry, and they'll even tell you how sorry they are. But Judas was sorry and said he'd betrayed innocent blood in Matthew 27, 3 through 5. Didn't mean at all there was anything done about it, though. Thirdly, repentance is not just or simply godly sorrow. It facilitates repentance, but it is not repentance. There's much more to it. That's listed in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. And repentance, believe it or not, is not restitution and reformation of life all by themselves. Restitution is when you repay an injury as much as possible. Some things cannot be physically repaid. Some things absolutely cannot. So there are four things repentance is not all by themselves. John the Baptist said, bring therefore, bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance. In Matthew 3 and verse 8. Regret and godly sorrow and confession lead to repentance. Restitution and reformation of life are the results of repentance. Sin is not just slowing down. Did you know that? That's what it... Repentance is not just slowing down. I know lots of people uh, who are trying to quit smoking and they'll come up. Uh, we have a deal with some of the people that work for us uh, in some of our stores and they'll say, uh, our deal is if they'll quit smoking, we'll pay $100. We have yet to pay $100. That's a sad statement right there. But I'll, I'll, sometimes we'll come in and I always, make, I always make light of it. I'm like, well, you're lighting yourself on fire again. Don't, I hope you didn't put too much hairspray on your hair today. Make jokes about it. Just have a good time. I, I try to do that, lighten it up a little bit. And they'll say, I'm trying to quit. I'm down to, I'm down to one pack a day. I'm down to four cigarettes a day. And I think sometimes that's how we treat our lives. We're like, you know, I don't, I don't do it as much as I used to. I don't do it as much as I used to. I heard an illustration one time about a police officer that stopped somebody. And I know none of you would do this. But he was rolling through a stop sign. And uh, he pulled him over. And he asked for his license and his registration. He said, oh, come on, let me off. I slowed down at the stop sign, at which point the mad police officer yanked him out of his car, took out his baton, and just began beating him wildly. And the man said, oh, oh, and he was screaming for all he was worth. And the policeman, while he was working him over, said, now, do you want me to slow down or do you want me to stop? 
There's a key difference there, isn't there? Sure there is. God is not just saying, hey, put the brakes on a little bit. Don't do it as much as you used to. I mean, I know you're trying. That's not what it is. God wants sin to be cut off, dead, done, put off, old man. Sin is not just slowing down. A preacher asked a little boy and a little girl what repentance was one time. The little boy said, you know, I think it's just being sorry. And the little girl said, no, it's not. It's being sorry enough to quit. And that only happens in your heart. And that's where repentance is. If you ever wanted to have a moment where you commune with God, let me tell you what, repentance, the very word, the essence of it, happens in your heart. Paul told the people, and we'll go over this in a moment, he told the people in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. If there's ever a time in your life where you had to sit there and through faith and realization of your situation with God, recognize and make up your mind and make a commitment to God. Listen, you can make a commitment to your spouse and break it. You can make a commitment to mom and dad and break it. You can make a commitment at work and break it. You can make a commitment tomorrow and break it. But when you make a commitment to God, let me tell you, he wakes up with you, he goes to bed with you, he looks you in the eye, he knows where you are all the time. And that's a commitment you can never walk away from. You can't cheat him out of that commitment because accountability is always with God. Repentance is a huge part of us living and having a relationship with God. Repentance is a change of heart toward both sin and God. And when I change my heart and mind, my conduct changes. In Matthew 21, verses 28 through 31, listen to what Jesus said. And what do you think? A man had two sons, and he said to the first, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said likewise, and answered him and said, I'll go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus said, Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, The first. That's right. Let me tell you something. I know lots of people that will tell you, I'm going to change. I've changed. And I'm going to tell you this. If I'm going to stand in the face of God Almighty and say I've changed, the proof is going to be in the pudding, as the old saying goes. Your life will change. Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you change your heart, your life changes. And if your life is not changing, friend, your heart hasn't changed. We can pay lip service and our Christianity can be from the teeth out and we can sing songs about how holy God is, but until God is our God and He changes our heart, our life will never change. And we may do it because of our parents and we may do it because it makes us feel good for the moment or feel good on Sunday, but if it doesn't happen from our heart, our life will never change. Lasting change will never be there. And we'll be the picture of what Jesus gave of soil that could not bear fruit in Matthew the 13th chapter. Jonah gives us an example of this in Nineveh. 
Nineveh was a wicked uh, city, and uh, Jonah preached an eight-word sermon. Now, I'm not, obviously, I've gone over eight words. I, if you were wishing for one, I've already violated it. You're probably not going to get one. Jonah, if you remember the story, was swallowed by a, a, a great fish. Um, you've heard it, that he was swallowed by a great whale. It's not what the Bible says. And uh, God told him to go preach. He didn't go preach. He was swallowed by this fish three days and nights. He prayed. He was spat up on dry land. And guess what? When God said go preach again, he went. And when Noah showed up on the scene, notice what he said. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, Jonah 3 and 5. Notice what happened. They had a change of mind, a change of heart. So the people of Nineveh believed God. You know what's at the root of repentance? Do you know what will really, really root and ground you to be able to change your life? Do you know what's at the very heart of repentance? It is faith in God and faith and conviction that He will do and promise to do what He said He will do. And if we truly have faith in God, we're gonna, there's going to be some changes. There are going to be some changes in our life. Notice the change of conduct that followed. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. One of my very favorite passages, and I invite you to go here, Ezekiel the 18th chapter. In Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, there's a passage uh, that I think is unbelievably wonderful. I'm going to begin reading there in about verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Verse 21. Big stuff here. But if a wicked man turns away from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Verse 22. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. In other words, he changed his life, his heart changed, his life changed, and God says, I choose not to remember your mistakes. It's not that God can't. It's God chooses not to remember. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Notice what God says. Verse 23. Do I have pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and sin which he has committed because of them, he shall die. That's big. Verse 25. Yet you say... The way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns, verse 26, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, 
when a wicked man, verse 27, turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, verse 29, the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, God says again, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore I will judge you. Listen very carefully. He's talking to his chosen people. You've never in your wildest imaginations been a Jew. We're Gentiles, all of us. The Jews were the very lineage by which the Messiah would come into the world. They were RSVP. They had first come seating in the kingdom of God. We had second seating in the kingdom of God, you might say. They were the first invites. They were God's special chosen group in which the Messiah would come. And out of that bloodline, one's blood would come named the Christ that would save us even though we're Gentiles. One greater than the blood of Abraham even though he came through the blood of Abraham. And God speaks to the household of Israel, the Jews, a precious people in his sight. And listen to what he says. And my, my point is this. If he'll talk to the Jews this way, he's talking to us this way. Listen. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Verse 30 says, Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Verse 32, I love this. God says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, very carefully, turn and live. Now, I could stop right there, and that would be a, a great repentance sermon, just that passage. Because God exemplifies exactly what He means. He wants me to change my life when I accept Jesus Christ, when I accept the gift of salvation, and He wants my life to stay that way after I have been saved and washed and cleansed in the blood of Christ. He dealt with wicked men who turned and washed away and wiped away all of their sins by turning to God. And he dealt with righteous people that turned away from righteousness and went back and lived in sin. God is fair. And the question is, what is our life tonight? Where is our life tonight? God wants repentance to be preached. He always has. In those days, in Matthew 3 and 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist did not mince words, and he was not politically correct. He got down in the face of religious leaders and said, you brood of vipers. Yeah. That would like make CNN for the worst possible politically incorrect language on earth. I mean, John the Baptist stood in the waters of the Jordan River when those Pharisees came up and called them out. I would have loved to have heard John the Baptist preach because I want to tell you something. 
Any preacher that stands in the pulpit will tell you how difficult it is to preach the Word of God in a convicting, forceful way when you know that people's lives are a wreck and you don't want to hurt them and you don't want to run them off, but their lives have to change because they're not ready to meet God. John the Baptist is inspiring to me. But I want to tell you, he stepped on the, on the wrong set of immoral toes. He told Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have her. I want to tell you something. Marriage is holy ground. And it's not anything we can afford to give up or compromise on. It's not something we can say, well, you know, if, if, you know, if, you, if it, it, it really doesn't matter. That's what our world wants us to say. Divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry a thousand bajillion times. No big deal. John the Baptist stands up and says to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And his wife got mad. He got mad and threw him in jail. An ignorant moment when he was drunk and a young girl danced before him. Her mother got to her when Herod offered her pretty much anything. And she wanted John the Baptist's head on a charger. And so you might be able to say he preached his head off. Literally. If you have trouble remembering Herodias' name, think Heifer. Because I, I'll tell you, of all the women in the Bible, that one makes me matter. I wonder, I wonder sometimes, and I know God had His purposes for everything. I wonder sometimes what might have happened if John the Baptist had been able to live out his life and preach after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But that wasn't God's plan. That's just, that's just something I think. John the Baptist literally, understand this, the life of one who was blessed by God was spent preaching this word. He literally had to make the path straight and get the Israelites ready for the Messiah because they were so steeped in pride and rebellion and sin, they would have rejected him. And so literally, he came in and softened their hearts. And when the Messiah showed up, guess what he preached? He preached repentance. In Matthew 11 and 20, Jesus said, He began to rebuke the cities in which most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! He would say. It will be more tolerable, He would say, for Tyre and Sidon. He said, Capernaum, who are exalted, will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. I want you to notice what he said in Matthew 12, 39. Jesus answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they, or Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. You know what Jesus is saying? Nineveh changed. Jonah was in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. You know the only sign anybody in all the world will ever get? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only sign you'll ever get. 
And tonight, I want to I challenge you. Do you believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's the only sign we'll ever get. That's the sign that was there for us. That's what Jesus said. And he said, the men of Nineveh will rise up and condemn all of you because you didn't believe. It was Jesus who gave the unmistakable turn or burn passage in Luke 13, 1 through 5, where he unmistakably said, repent or perish. Jesus said repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name first at Jerusalem, and it was on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you tonight, what will it take for you to repent? Is it going to take a near-death experience? That seems to work for a little while for some folks. Is it going to take one of your loved ones getting sick and dying? What's it going to take? Is someone going to have to come get up right in your face and literally shake you? That doesn't work for most people. Lots of moms and dads have tried. What will it take? Jesus said, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Nobody likes to think about their life as evil, do you? We like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And because of our intent, we forget about the effect. Listen, our life is about effect. It's about how it affects God and our relationship with God has no, no being or, or dwelling on our intent None of us really just intend to go out and be in, live in rebellion to God, I don't believe. But we forget about how sin affects our relationship with God. What will motivate me? So I will suggest fear. I could preach on hell. And I want to tell you, we need to preach on hell. Hell's fallen on hard times. It's used as a four-letter word in some defamatory way. Hell's not a place anybody would joke about, and it's certainly not a byword, and it's certainly not something you just need to have in your vocabulary for when times are tough and you need to express yourself in an emphatic way. Hell is a place that we can't even imagine. Go open the door of your oven when it's after cleaning cycle and the hottest oven you could possibly imagine won't even begin to touch hell and what's there. The judgment day experience, literally, for an unrepentant life is scary. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11, we learn that we'll give an account of ourselves. Listen, one day you're going to stand before the great white throne of King Jesus, and I want you just to imagine for a moment, and I want you to be real with me just for a second. If you look at your life right now, you're the only one that can look in the mirror at your life. You're the only one. And if you look in the mirror at your life, I want you to imagine you see things there that you know need to change, but you continue to live that way and you die in those circumstances. And so you rise to meet Jesus in the air one day and you stand before His great white throne and you begin to give an account. And He has to say, Depart from me, ye, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. What do you think that's going to be like? Well, I'll tell you what it's going to be like. Jesus told us. In Luke, the 16th chapter, there was a rich man who fared sumptuously day by day, and there was a man named Lazarus, a beggar, who literally would, had dogs lick his sores and would have, he filled his 
he literally ate what fell from the rich man's table. Lazarus was obviously good. He went into Abraham's bosom. The rich man obviously did not follow or seek God, and he found and lifted up his eyes in torment. He saw Lazarus afar off, and he had a conversation with Father Abraham, as it were. And he said, send Lazarus. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes in torment. And do you know one of the most tormenting things? Not just the scenery. Fire and brimstone and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know probably one of the great motives and one of the things that's really there? I believe every sin that we've ever committed will be circling in our head like vultures that we can't get out. We'll replay those times like in 2010 where we sat on a church pew and heard a lesson about repentance or a sermon. And we wish we could go back and redo it. Well, the rich man had that experience and he was so inflamed in a, so, such in torment, he said, send Lazarus, let him dip his finger in water and cool my tongue in this flame. That's how little he was asking for and there was no water to be had. He said, there is a great gulf fixed. And you can't cross it. You know what he said next? I've got five brethren. In other words, I've got friends and family that are living the same kind of life I'm living. And I don't want them to come here. And you send Lazarus back from the dead and you have him talk to my brethren. Do you know... Do you know what he was told? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he went on to explain, though one come back from the grave, it's not going to help. Listen. No man performed more miracles than Jesus, the Son of God. He went about doing good, literally shut down the local physicians raised people from the dead, healed every disease imaginable, and people crucified him because of envy. The apostles went around with power to perform miracles and literally healed the sick and did amazing things and literally were beheaded, crucified upside down, and just downright murdered. Signs don't convict people. The Word of God was the true convicting power. The only thing a sign ever did was to confirm a message, and the message is what would set you free. Jesus said that. And tonight, if the message of Jesus Christ doesn't move you, there's no sign that will. I hope, I hope if you have any conscience within you and you don't have a relationship with God because of sin in your life, I hope you're scared to death and I hope you don't sleep tonight. In fact, I hope you don't sleep well until you get your life right with Jesus. Hell is a real place and it's not made for you. It's made for the devil and his angels. God never designed it for you. Don't you ever think that? God made a way so you don't have to go there and so I don't have to go there. And he made the way so clear he literally made it stained in blood from his own son. The last thing I'll say that might move you is God's love. God's love. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? When you look at the cross, I want you to look at a father 
who for a moment in time had to separate communion from himself with his son that had never done anything wrong. The willing participant, the Lamb of God that would lay down his life for the apple of God's creation, and that was us. Don't you ever forget this. We are created. We are created in the image of God. God gives us the ability to be analytical, to judge things, and to make decisions. And when He laid out the cross of Calvary, and when He allowed His Son to die, be buried, and rise from the grave, He gave us every bit of brain power to recognize that is the essence of love. It is sacrifice for people that are undeserving. The Bible says, But God commendeth His love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. And that's me. We like to think about our lives in big and little sins. A lot of people think about big sins. Murder, Galatians 5, 19-21. Homosexuality, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Those are pretty high on people's morality charts these days. If you go out and kill somebody in cold blood, that's a big deal. It's going to show up on the front page of the newspaper. You're probably not going to cut that one out, put a backer behind it, and hang it over the fireplace and say, look what my son did. I'm so proud. You won't do that. Because those are big sins. Our society says, bad. Ooh, bad. And we judge it like that. We see somebody who gets uh, strung out on drugs and we think, oh, whew, bad deal. Well, they're horrible. Somebody that's an alcoholic, man, never happened to me. Somebody gets a DUI and shows up in the newspaper, bad, bad. We like to refer to those as mountain sins. You all have mountains around here. You have them. You can see them off in the distance, and that's exactly how other people's sins look to us. You know what our sins look like to us? Like an iceberg. You know what an iceberg is? Can't see it, can you? Very much of it at all. In fact, most icebergs are underneath the surface of the water. They'll float just underneath the surface. That's why they're so dangerous to ships. Only just about a tenth or two tenths of an iceberg are visible. The rest of it is under the surface, and that's how we like to see it. If we've got an evil thought, or, 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 or we look at pornography, or, or we uh, hate somebody, or we're envious, or jealous, or nasty, and we bite somebody's head off, or we write nasty stuff, and you name it, you name it, that's iceberg stuff, man. As long as nobody knows about it, huh, I'm in good shape. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, when you make up your mind, you're going to stop doing it. And you pray for God to forgive you and give you the strength. Let me tell you something. No power of hell and no scheme of man can pluck you out of your Father's hand. Jesus promised that in John chapter 10. And when you give your will over and you begin to try to obey the will of Jesus Christ instead of worrying and, and worshiping self and instead live for God... Powerful things happen. And all kinds of things change in our lives. Paul told the Corinthian church, Such were some of you, but you've been washed, cleansed, and justified. The prodigal stories are perhaps the best in all the Bible. The prodigal stories teach us that God is willing and wants to bring us back no matter what. 
The Bible says in Luke the 15th chapter that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth and over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. Let me break that down for you. Joy in the presence of the angels is not talking about the angels. That's talking about your father. And he's never given up on you, and he won't give up on you, and he won't give up on you, and he won't stop. And I believe that's why you're here, and I believe that's why the church is here, and I believe that's why you have opportunity after opportunity because God loves you and he's long-suffering. He's given you time. He's given you time to take it all in, to think about it, to soak it up, and then say, I want that relationship. He gives you that time and opportunity. We have an invitation song we're about to sing. If you've never known Jesus in the forgiveness of your sins, His blood can wash away all of your sins if you will obey the gospel. If you're a Christian and you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and you've gone back to your sins, listen. You need to change. John said, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not, but... If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you have sin in your life of any kind, please, why don't you repent tonight? We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.